Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 397. This episode, I'm joined by Prano, Prano Bailey Bond. Prano, I kept saying Prano when I was telling people about this podcast, because I was really excited to have Prano on, because she's done a film called Censor, and it's her debut feature, and it blew me away. It's getting loads of hype, rightfully so. So I thought we should have a little chat about it all. If, if you want to catch it, it's on its Sundance London on July 30th, and there'll be an additional screening on August 1st, because it's that dope. That's how excited people are. But then it will have its general r- release, released widely in cinemas on August 20th. But I just, I loved this conversation. I'd been told by our mutual friend, Neve Algar, um, who's, who's in Censor, along with M- 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 Michael Smiley, previous podcast guest as well. I've been told that Prano was great and wonderful to talk to. And I believed her. And she was right. I was right to believe her. <laughs> so, yeah, I really hope you enjoy this conversation. Again, it, it, there's not spoilers of Censor. And the beauty of it is you don't even have to know who Prano is or be a fan of Prano because this is just a great story about creativity and how to get stuff m- made and approaches and keeping creative control and inspiration. And, yeah, all those things. It's a great story. And I think you're going to love Sensor when you get to see it as well. So before we get into it, um, we are brought to you as ever by Speech Development Records. Head over there if you want to support the podcast by buying podcast merch, record label merch, my merch, albums, DVDs, all sorts of good stuff. Um, and we're also brought to you by, as ever, patreon.com forward slash Pip. You can donate like a dollar a month or two dollars a month or whatever it is over there. So yeah. This is the wonderful Prano Bailey Bond on the Distraction Pieces podcast. This piece of fiction is the intro to distraction. This piece of fiction is the intro to distraction. This piece of fiction is the intro to distraction. This piece of fiction is the intro to distraction. So I'm joined today with Prano Bailey Bond. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. It's lovely to meet you. It's lovely to meet you. How How is everything going? How are you in mind, body and soul at the moment? Obviously, weird year, but for multiple reasons for you, because you've also, you're in the midst of your debut f- feature coming out, but, you know, there's been a global yeah. pandemic, all that. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. It's nice to be asked that, actually, because uh, you do a lot of press and it's you're just talking about the film yeah. so much, aren't you? Um But no, it's a funny period because there's so much exciting stuff going on, but it's also really busy. So sometimes you are just doing it and you don't really have a moment to sort of stop and take it in. Um, And I think that's exaggerated by the pandemic because aside from two, at this point in time, aside from two live events, everything around the film has been remote, like all the festivals that would normally be going and kind of experiencing physically watching your film with an audience and being in an environment where you're meeting other filmmakers who are maybe having their first features come out and you know sharing that experience you're not getting that you're doing it all in a box and I think that can make it feel a little bit like it's not real sometimes so it's funny because actually you know, we've been on in some amazing magazines and things and Sensor was on the front cover of Sight and Sound, which was brilliant. But it didn't land until I was just walking through the house and, and the co- a copy of Sight and Sound was like on the carpet and I walked past and it was like, whoa, we're on the cover of Sight and Sound. Yeah. <laughs> like it just landed in my head like, oh, that's a real thing. But it was probably about two or three weeks after that had been released yeah i really think it's it's similar the film tv and music industries all have crossover in this is you spend all this time and passion and blood sweat and tears on your on your art but then there's this huge period between you doing that and the public seeing it that is all business and you're talking about promo targets and what you can do and where you can hit so by the time it comes out it can often feel like like with music it's what playlists is it on or what where is it playlisted on the radio what interviews are we doing 
distribution, all that kind of, and with film, like, like how many cinemas is it playing in? What are we looking at at the on demand, and when's that coming in? That you kind of often forget to have that moment of, oh man, we made a thing. Yeah. How cool is that? I've I've mentioned it a few times on podcasts recently, actually. But with my record label, we've always had a thing where we celebrate when the masters and artwork are turned in because that's when we've done this amazing thing. We've made an album. How crazy is that? All the rest of that, the release, the chart position, the positive reviews and negative reviews, that's all kind of a bonus. The celebration should be, man, how mad is it that we made a record and it's 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 physical, like it's a real thing. And that's it must be a similar feeling for for film. Yeah, because you work on something for such a long time. I mean, we started writing the script for Censor around sort of the end of 2016. Wow. And and then like you know, at that point in time, it's an idea in your head and you don't have a script yet, and then you have a draft of a script, and then each um stage of making the film is like another kind of competition that you're going to win or lose yeah and so yeah you know are you going to get the finance that you want are you going to get the each cast member on board that you want and they'll be available and want to do it and and then it's like is it going to come together and are you going to get into that festival and then will people actually like it or not <laughs> yeah and all of these things that feel like hoop after hoop and it is important to sort of take a moment to enjoy that because it's very easy for you to be like okay right what's next like what's the next project rather than actually celebrate that you've created something and that has been a harder thing because like I say normally you'd come together and and raise a glass and all pat each other on the back and stuff um yeah but we've done that through zoom but it's not it's not quite the same at least we have zoom but you know I I can't wait to be with the cast and crew to sort of celebrate what what we've all done. It's it's such a weird thing because I I found b- blessings and curses c- curses in these changes because like I love being on set with the team, engaging interaction. I've always felt incredibly uncomfortable at rap parties. So the TV show I recently did, there was no rap party, and I kind of loved that. I was sad to see everyone go and miss everyone, but I was kind of happy there wasn't this this forced moment of celebration because it's always before with before we know if it's good or not. <laughs> like again, you, you you being on that side of it, you know all the steps along the way. The cast are kind of well, we've turned up and done stuff. Yeah. Fingers crossed. As you say, it's a huge collaboration. No idea how it's going to turn out, but yeah, here's hoping. So yeah it's the beauty of premieres and launches and stuff like that because they feel more like a now it's finished. The yeah. rap parties always feel like a party for the people who get to walk away there and not for the people who then, as I said, you will have lived with Sensor for months and months and months after yeah. any any perceived rap. It's funny because I remember at the end of, of um, the shoot, Neve saying, oh, you're not going to talk to me now yeah, <laughs> because you're going to be looking at my face all the time and you're going to get sick of me. And so uh, obviously I did talk to her because why wouldn't you want to talk to Neve Alga? Of course. Um, but I, I thought that was that is an interesting thing because so many people go on to the next thing and then you're, you know, you and the producer are there th- from start to finish kind of carrying it, it through. But you're right. I mean, there's something quite amazing about about the trust that's needed to create something because it is a leap of faith for the cast mm. uh, in particular when, you know, they don't know how it's all going to come together in the end. And yeah. I can imagine getting to the end of a shoot from that perspective and, and being like, well, I don't know what we made. <laughs> Hopefully it's good. Who knows? E- exactly that. And it's all, as you said there, it's all about f- f- faith and that can be, yeah, a powerful th- th- thing. Um, I think you, I, I, what you touched upon earlier as well, all the different individual competitions you win along the way. As we're recording this, there's recently, recently been the Euros and a friend of mine, Moose Rockwonga, an amazing poet and journalist and writer, he wrote about f- football once and said that people don't realise how hard it is to win a World Cup or whatever because there's so many things along the way. There's fitness there's people happening to all come on form at the same time and all of these different elements and I think it's similar with film and tv people don't realize 
how many things could go wrong along the mm-hmm. way. It's why I don't talk about things I don't enjoy. Because yeah. if I watch a film and think it's not very good, I'm also aware that no one intentionally made it not very good. And it's really hard to make it good. Because as you say, there's so many things. It could be casting. It could be just the whole whole putting together of your team. And I want to talk about a lot of that because I think sound and vision are a key part um, in Sensor. But I guess before any of that, I want to rewind all the way back because I find the journey of of a debut feature to be a fascinating thing because, again, it's really it's a fucking hard thing to make happen, particularly in an era when there's so much more leaning towards TV projects being funded, being pushed features, particularly independent features feel like more of a fight now. So I want to go, but all the way back, but you, so you grew up in Wales, right? Whereabouts in Wales were you? I grew up in a tiny little village called Penu. My, my address in, when I grew up, translated to uh, foot of the hill, top of the tops. Obviously it was in Welsh, but it was really remote. And um, it it was funny looking back because it was actually an old petrol station. So we had on our like very short track coming up to the house, we had these like rusty old petrol pumps, which it wasn't until years later that I was like, ah, there's always like a petrol station in like old sort of 70s, 80s horror films that, that they stop at along the way to some creepy house yeah. and and the the petrol pump person said oh you don't want to go down there yeah and uh, <laughs> and I thought well that's maybe there was something in that but yeah I grew up in very rural Wales near Aberystwyth yeah so yeah. so how was that for your exposure to TV and film because my um, my brother spent a good few years living in a small cottage in in Lampeter and one of the things oh. I loved there was there was a record shop and you could not predict what would be available in that record shop. The record shop was based purely on the one old guy who owned it and was in charge of everything in there. So it felt so curated. It didn't yeah. feel like you're going to go in and go, I just want to get the Be- the Beatles album or whatever's in the charts. So like, there'll be loads of stuff there, but it might not be anything that you'd expect. And it was, yeah, it felt like a beautiful thing. I think small rural towns and areas can be great for that and that you're at the at, at, at the will of someone else's curation so, so what was yeah. your what was available to you and what did you you find 100% I mean I was at the will of my parents curation yeah. in terms of what was on their VHS shelf yeah. um, because the closest cinema to my house was a 30 minute drive they had one screen at the cinema in Aberystwyth and when I was little, there was one bus a week to get there. Wow. So it wasn't like I could, you know, independently go and watch stuff. So I really was at the mercy of what was playing on the telly and what was on that shelf. And I'm very lucky that my parents had really good taste in films. So they were things like, um, I mean, A Razor Head, Dark Star. There were loads of Marx Brothers films that I loved, Amazing. especially when I was really little. You know, and then my my sort of brother and sister, who were eight and ten years older than me, had like taste in things like you know uh, the Lost Boys, The Exorcist, and I remember my left foot being on the shelf. That's a good variation, right? That's a good yeah. a, a good range. My I it was it was as I got a a, a bit older, but my two favourite scenes in cinema history, one of them's in in a film called Harvey, but one is in Duck Soup, and it's the mirror scene in in duck soup is just i remember seeing that well like far older than i should have been i feel you know i was proper into my oh i'm a, i'm into films now and getting all my all my world cinema in and then suddenly finding duck soup and just seeing stuff that there's so much that can be done unspoken so much yeah. comedy that can be get got across without you know sharp witty dialogue and yeah yeah, totally. it's been amazing to have all that that variation and a lot of visual yeah. stuff there. It's sounding yeah, like. yeah. I think that when I think back, I'm like, I think my sense of humour was partly shaped out of that shelf, and yeah. it was the Marx Brothers. Dark Star, I thought was really funny when I yeah. was a kid. I thought it was hilarious, um, but also like the Life of Brian and the Holy Grail were uh, yeah. also things that, and and I was a massive Red Dwarf fan as a yep. kid. I used to tape every episode off the telly 
and we didn't have loads of money when I was a kid so there wasn't like the option to kind of buy the actual proper VHS so I'd tape each episode and we had like one of those VHS uh, recorders that you could like time the record yeah um and I remember getting home and it was what it was one episode in series five that hadn't recorded and I was so distraught that my mum bought me the actual oh video wow of the series and I so I had like one two three four taped off the telly and then I was so proud of like five in its shiny case in a real um, one I love it but I just used to sit and watch and re-watch Red Dwarf like Ch- repeatedly do you remember i'm not sure if i remember that we had them and everyone in my area had them for some reason but there was a period where they kind of released these kind of fake leather bound book looking cases for videos right they were kind of brown or red and it just it it made it look like a bookshelf but it's 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 your videos it was meant to be a video but yeah just just, it came to mind (laughs) as soon as as you were saying this seems so bizarre that you wouldn't just they come in a little cardboard sleeve so why wouldn't it was like yeah i guess yeah. it's an essex thing of trying to be more posh than the, yeah, than we are that out of london thing did get to <laughs> did get to the dark deep dark parts of wet whales so so what was your route into deciding to create y- yourself because again i find that fascinating the reason i've never left the small town i live in is i think one of my greatest greatest tools of creativity has always been boredom and a, a lack of things to do if I, I there was a point when my music career was taken off that I was tempted to move into London but I thought there's going to be too many things for me to do I'll never write I'll never create if I've got all of these things so how do you feel being slightly secluded gave you that kind of I have to create things in my own mind and in my own in my own world yeah I definitely think so I think the fact that the internet wasn't around when I grew up was a huge benefit to my imagination Um, and I basically used to draw a lot when I was a kid I used to sit and I did I drew lots of cartoons and I painted weird surreal pictures and I had like (laughs) like a little old man had this sort of old armchair that was in front of the telly with a little pile of like sketchbooks and pens and pencils that would get higher and higher and eventually my mum would be like you have to take that upstairs and carry them up in like loads um, but I'd just sit and, and I'd watch the same films over and over again because then I didn't have to look because I could concentrate yeah. on my drawing and also because we only had so many videos. But, yeah, I, I definitely think that kind of fed into the development of my imagination, but also I think the landscape of Wales I found really inspiring and eerie and, you know, mm. going and playing in forests and... Um, just imagining all the different things that could happen in forests as well and reading fairy tales and, and having that space, which I think like what you're saying about staying, you know, where you grew up, I think that's actually really smart. And in my adult life, there was definitely a point where I was sort of living kind of in like Dalston Hackney area. And I remember being like, I just need to move somewhere where I've got really low rent, and I'm far away from the middle of London and there's not much going on and I can just burrow into my own kind of creativity. And I moved into a house in East Ham with a bunch of friends that was like very, very cheap. Yeah. Um, I didn't have a door to my bedroom for a while. so wow. And I think my window was boarded up. <laughs> but it was a really great space for me and there was a warehouse next door that was kind of part of the organisation um, it's like a kind of space for artists to have like low cost workshops and things Fantastic. like that. And I shot quite a few of my like, early music videos in that yeah. warehouse on like 150 quid. And that was that was brilliant. I think that's what you need as a creator is somewhere that you can just sit and sort of really burrow into your own head. <laughs> our, our, our first ever music video, Thou Shall Always Kill, was shot for around... I think it was 300 quid in the end. And it was in the bulk of it was in one of those warehouses that is for right. creatives. It was in, it was near F- Farringdon and Barbican. And yeah, it was exactly that. A load of creatives were building s- sets for us, all sorts of stuff, just because we wanted to make something cool. And yeah, I think those things are amazing. I think it seems to have gone out of fashion a bit, or because of some of the law changes, but there was certainly a period where people who had empty buildings would rather allow creatives to use them than potentially have squatters or 
drugs or whatever else in there. And it was a perfect combination to kind of battle the ever-climbing rental costs in London. Sadly, the battle was lost and the rental costs won. But, um, yeah. yeah. I remember that video, watching your video when when I was sort of starting making music videos and just being like, this is so cool. I loved the edit of it. And, yeah, yeah, I thought it was just – I was like, wow, this guy's amazing. So it's quite it's quite funny. So it's I sort of, I think it slightly in, inspired some of the stuff I was probably doing, um, you know, in just kind of going out and grabbing what you can to make stuff. But yeah, I was really lucky to live in that space. Um, it was like a, a company called Artcore, and they would get you know big empty buildings, like you say, that would mm. otherwise be squatted or you know used for squat parties and create workshop spaces for artists and it. it was brilliant it was like really brilliant space to shoot in yeah so how was it when you were making shorts at what point did you decide this next one isn't a short it's a feature or was there always here's the feature I'm working towards I'm going to make these shorts because they're shorts and then they will prove because that's kind of how it works in in a, mm. a lot of the industry isn't it if you've proved your whether it be visual prowess or storytelling prowess or whatever in shorts then you may be entrusted to get funding Mm. and do a a feature so what was that kind of journey well I remember friends of mine sort of in the industry who you know had seen my shorts going like why aren't you making a feature yet because I'd done quite a few shorts and I remember feeling like I needed to make nasty which was the second short like I made nasty and then I made shortcut and then I made censor so it was my one before last short and I remember being like I I need to make this film before I make a feature and I think there was something more personal about nasty because I was much more involved in the script and I felt like it was just more who I wanted to be as a filmmaker but also in terms of what I was handling within the short in camera special effects and the kind of character arcs, mm-hmm. um, it felt like that was good prep for me personally to feel mentally ready. So I, I felt like other Try people it out here me, first when yeah. there's not load, there's not as much pr- 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 pressure so you can then yeah. go, oh, I know how to do that. Exactly. and But I felt like other people were saying to me, oh, you should be making a feature when I was a bit like, well, I'll just do this one. Maybe, I don't know, maybe that's that was... I didn't feel like I wasn't confident. It was just about feeling ready in my yeah. head. And Nasty was brilliant for me in terms of sensor because it had, a, you know, it's set during the video Nasty era as well. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a way for me to explore some of the techniques and character sort of arc, the narrative that that sort of fed into sensor. So, you know, I, I felt I felt pretty ready by the time by the time we got to, to making the feature. But it is a process of, you know, you have to find a great producer who's going to push the film, like drive yeah. the film and get the finance as well because you're not making it on your own. You need other people and you need those people to... You're you're not a tried and tested thing in terms of a, a director in working in, in long form. Yeah. You have to prove yourself and there can be kind of, I guess, some nerves around that as well. Yeah. Um, but... It all came together in the end. How 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 was it kind of putting the team together along that journey and along that route? Because again, it is an industry where you can't take anything for granted. I always with acting jobs, I'm always like, well, when they've booked my travel, I'll believe it's happening. Yeah. Until then, it's all it's lovely and it sounds very exciting, but I don't believe it until I'm actually on my way there and stepping on on set. So how was that kind of journey and finding the right producer who's going to go right because again the producer role is hugely underrated and I want to talk about that a bit later on because you've recently announced to be working with one of my favorite producers of all time so um we'll get into all that but how was that to find the right producer to work with everyone always thinks about you find the right lead or even some may now start to think of the right DOP or whatever but that producer director writer relationship is yeah. key from this the, the the get-go right 100% and i mean me my co-writer Anthony Fletcher and my producer Helen Jones we were the sort of trio at the beginning yeah. of this you know and you know we worked together for 
three years on the script and getting us through that next hoop to get the production financing and things like that. And Helen was, you know, she worked so hard and uh, really drove the film and wasn't just going out and talking about the film, but was kind of bigging me up (laughs) to, to financiers and things, which is like amazing. It's the important part. I've always kind of argued in music, the main reason for a manager is when you've not got the arrogance to be telling everyone how great you are. You need someone else to to do that. And that's the same as the producer role. You you may be comfortable letting your shorts speak for you, but it's really hard to get in a room and go, tell you what, I'm the next big thing, you know, you want to be, you want to be getting on this early because, but that's what you need to convince them of. That's, that's the, if it's a debut, there's, it's so easy for, for financiers and whatnot to say, it's a bit of a risk, you know, it's a bit of a risk. It's a new voice. We like the voice, but we're not sure it may be too early. And that's what you need the producer to get over that hurdle. Yeah, totally. And I mean, Helen was, Helen was a massive champion in that sense, but, In terms of how we met, we actually met through a short film festival called Underwire, who Helen had reached out to looking for kind of up and coming female directors to work with because her ethos of her company is very much about female led Mm -hmm. storytelling and and female characters um, and kind of filling that gap, which is now feeling like it's being filled much more in, in what we're getting to watch. But I I, I definitely think it needs to be more even still. I think. My, I, was, I was speaking to my agent on 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 the script front recently and explaining to him that the reason a few of the sh- the, sh- the shorts I've got I'm working on the reason I want to work with a female producer as 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 much variation on the team as possible is it's all good to be one voice and have trust in one person's voice but it's also mm-hmm. good to have that questioned so yeah. I think yeah. Male female teams, female female teams, all different genders, races, yeah. and sexualities. All we need to be mixing everything up. It, it, yeah. it can't just be like we have a boom in the in LGBTQ plus cinema that, but it's keeping them in their own section. Mm. Do you know? What yeah. I mean? And same with female cinema, it's keeping it in its own genre. Here's here's the yeah. women's films. It's like no, the women need to be involved in all. Everyone yeah, needs to be. Yeah. It needs to all cross pollinate for the good of the the stories yeah no I totally agree I think it's really important and and I actually when talking about like what you look for in a collaborator you know sort of chimes with that because a lot of the time I want somebody who is coming from a slightly different viewpoint to me because then you can have much much more interesting debate and and um see the things that maybe you wouldn't have spotted yourself but yeah I mean that that kind of journey and Helen coming on board, we we then sort of went to film Wales actually with the project, and they were the first to come in and sort of support the first draft of the script, which Brilliant. was like basically you're off, you know. Yeah. From there, they supported us all the way through to the end, and then on the way, we worked with Creative England, Film Four, and the BFI, and um, all of them were were, were wonderful partners. They're dream people. They're, they're, they're on everyone's dream list. Anytime I'm the hitting a major, I'm like, triangle. film for BFI and BBC at the, the three. They're like, here's here's what I've seen come up at the beginning of so many of my favourite small films that that yeah. that wouldn't have got off the ground if it wasn't for yeah, yeah, investment exactly. in in new voices. Yeah, and it's public, you know, funding that yeah. you know doesn't. Act, like, I've been speaking a lot more to people over in the states recently and filmmakers who in the States don't have that. I mean, we've got the national lottery here that yeah. that's where that money comes from and pays for independent voices to, yeah. you know, that otherwise wouldn't be getting to make their films because otherwise you kind of need to know someone in the industry already. And, you know, I know that there should be, hopefully we, we'd like there to be more voices making um, films through these avenues, definitely. And like, I think the BFI are working hard on that and Mia Bays who's coming in to sort of head that side of the BFI I know is like really passionate about diversity and and the kind of voices that should be coming through but you know other countries don't all have that and I do feel really lucky but yeah in terms of like then the team that like my A team (laughs) there are quite a few people I'd worked with that I'd kind of grown with so for example my director of photography Annika Summerson we actually went to uni together so Perfect. we've been working 
on and off, you know, since our early 20s. And also kind of have like lived together and when we're like best mates and stuff. So there's, you know, a few collaborators who I had worked with over a long period of time, including like my sound designer, Tim Harrison, and then others who I met through the process of looking for people to bring on. So my uh, production designer, Paulina Zizoska, and my um, editor, Mark Towns, they were people I kind of, you know, you're like collecting up yeah. the top trumps. Yeah, 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 yeah. Here's the best people. It, it sounds like the perfect combination, you know, because the sound and vision side, those that you've known for years and you've got kind of almost an automatic shorthand with, is is perfect but then the production side and those who are that's where it's important I think at times to have an outside voice because a problem I have at times is I will know a story so inside and out I'll forget that the viewer doesn't know it so Mm. some of the best notes I've ever had have been from people going tell us more about these people because they know that as soon as they ask me I'll be like all right well this 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 person like I know every single thing about every character but you get into a habit if you've sat with a story for so long that everyone will know this and the shorthand is there. Whereas that's where it benefits from having an outside voice to go, we need a bit more out of this. And yeah, yeah, that could be key. I mean, I I used to edit my own work for a long time. Like I cut a lot of my early shorts and music videos. And there was a point where when I was making music videos, the production company were like, we think you should work with an editor because basically I was coming off a shoot knackered and then the next day you have to deliver an edit in like a day or two days Mm -hmm. and it was a bit crazy and I was totally freaked out the first time I ever worked with an editor (laughs) like it was terrifying to like let go of the reins but once I'd spent a day sitting in the room with her I was like wow I've got another brain and you're bringing your own ideas and you're seeing all this footage fresh and I don't have to carry everything on my shoulders and do this knackered after a shoot. I can lie on the sofa in the background and go, oh, it was so hard to shoot this scene and drink tea and then we can solve the problem together. Yeah. Um, and that's that's been since then. I, I, you know, I haven't had the urge to edit my own work since. Yeah. I mean, that that all-encompassing project leader is evident. Again, in 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 sensor in general, I think it feels like such a complete and full story, and the characters feel full. But from talking to Neve, she, she says that there's a video that needs to be released of you essentially as they're filming, basically playing every role and every character as 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 you're waiting. And so, do you think that comes from your history of kind of having a, a hand in everything? That when you're there, as she was saying, one thing she, as she loved about you your direction style is half the time you're literally just off camera. It's not that you're over in, in monitor village or whatever. You're literally there to give feedback and advice and feel it and, and take it all in. So do you think that comes from your experience in, in making all your own stuff and not being kind of an industry person of here's how it runs? Maybe. I mean, I get really involved and particularly in sensor, I ended up having to get like this hood for me for behind the camera so that I could hide while I was watching the tape because I do what that the character's doing while I'm watching I and I don't know that I'm doing it. I've done it all the time. I've got vi- videos and pictures of me directing music videos where I'm directing models to do like physical stuff and I'm doing what I want them There's- to do. I have no idea that I'm doing that I'm, in the I'm, moment. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of mixed martial arts and there's a fighter called Chuck Liddell who after he retired... Anytime he was in the audience, I'd struggle to watch what's going on in the cage because I'd just see him in the background <laughs> dodging and and he's living that fight. And it instantly came to mind, as as Neve yeah. was saying about about how you direct. You're there with in in the ring with yeah. every every person on the team. Totally. My DOP secretly filmed me while we were doing one of the uh, shots for the final sequence and I was I think I was directing Andy Haville who plays Enid's dad yeah and I had no idea that this was being filmed and then she showed me and I was like oh my god is that what I'm that doing that must be well, the like, video that Dave was, was like, talking about I was yeah. like really I don't know what I'm doing with my face I look horrible and then I go cut great 
and just walk out and like like I'm out of it and I literally had no idea that I'm doing that and um I just and, and when I was directing Neve there were some scenes that I got super involved with because her performance was so beautiful and mm. intense to watch I was she just kept me right there but I mean there was the scene with Enid and when she kind of finally gets to be alone with Alice Lee and uh, that was when I worked out what I did um with my face while I was directing and, and employed a hood to hide underneath because I was like you know just heartbroken behind the monitor you know feeling it all but yeah I, I think for me collaborating with actors is one of the joys of directing and I think of the actor as the, the in my case the third writer because I co-write then the editor and me are the fourth writer but when you cast an actor, you're casting a, a version of the character that that actor is going to bring. Yeah. And I'm there to facilitate, you know, their ideas as much as bring my own ideas and, and create a space where we can build that character together. And, and I just have so much admiration for actors because I couldn't do it. You know, I, mm. I just think it's magic what um, actors are doing, bringing these stories to life. And I, I love it. And that was the only thing with Sensor was I got to work with such an incredible cast. Yeah. And apart from Neve, these actors were coming in for like two days at a time because they kind of all pop up in the story. Yeah. And it was always so sad when you, you realised that that was a wrap for, That's done. you know, Vincent Franklin or Felicity Montague or, <laughs> you know... Claire Holman, and you're like, no, I want to work with you for longer. It's just w- too sad. I wanted to ask, how was it working with Michael Smiley? Because he's one of my favourite people in the world, and yeah. we've never worked together, but there's few people who have motivated me artistically as much as Smiley. There's been a few times where... Because I, I find it interesting from the director point of view, because there's been times where he's been pretty much shouting in my face but motivating me like about a script I'm working on or something I've been uncertain on or this and that he'll be just be laying it on the line and and pulling no punches so I'd imagine as a collaborator there's a similarity there that he will be bringing his you know he'll be frank and honest but in the friendliest way imaginable yeah I loved working with Michael he's amazing he's so he's so charismatic yeah and you know, he came with his ideas about the character, but they all chimed 100% with, with how I saw Doug Smart yeah. as well. And, um, I mean, he brought some great ideas. I remember one of the things Michael was very adamant about was that Doug should have a fake tan. <laughs> so he actually went and got a spray <laughs> tan um, in this, like, they booked for him to go to some, like, home tanning place in Leeds. So he said he got, like, dropped off in this, like, council estate and had to go to this woman's house and get this spray tan and I just thought imagine what it must have been like for her that Michael Smiley turns up on your doorstep and... for a spray tan in his house in in the house yeah but he was just he's just wonderful and I I loved his energy on set and he is very frank and honest but you know I didn't ever find that that led to any kind of clash whatsoever yeah. I just found him incredibly warm and supportive and yeah uh, just like I say super charismatic and again like sad when he left and 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 you know feel like I made a friend even though he was only there for a couple of days yeah um and yeah I can't wait to hang out with him when we're not in the middle of some crazy scene and when it's not absolute mayhem I, I love the sound of that and and I know that from the actor's side it's equally a dream to work with directors and writers who are open to kind of a suggestion and development. I did a thing in Canada recently and I was, I was, I was working on my character and going over this script. I was like, I, I felt this character needed to have something to, to, to do with his hands, essentially, because mm. he's, he's ex-military, his mind's always working, but he's this, the character was so relaxed. And I found these things online called, it's nicknamed a monkey fist, um, but it's a, a beglary or belgary and it's a Greek skill toy and you kind of spin it around in your hands right I'm going to make a couple and start learning it and practicing it thinking this may never chances are I'm not going to get to use this so I learned it until I was felt I was good enough and then I sent a little video to the the showrunner and he wrote it into about three or four different scenes and it meant the world to me because it then like it 
it it was the first thing from the series of my character that got made into a gif and i was yeah. like that meant the world because that was such a i wanted to find that something that defined the character a bit because i didn't yeah. we'd discussed we don't want him to talk too much so yeah. you need something to add that mystique and to, to make him stand out rather than just be another member of the background because he's he's key in the in the long run and to have that collaboration again a lot of people have such a clear vision in mind that it's like no that's yeah i mean i think going. as the director your first responsibility always is to tell the story so that's the way you kind of have to start but then beyond that it's about inspiring the people you're working with yeah. and to tell the story and and it's so important that the actors take ownership of their character and as long as you can be the kind of sort of t- litmus test for whether that idea is going to tell the story or obstruct the story, yeah. then you should be kind of welcoming those ideas because it just gives the actor that autonomy. And and for you to step into a person's shoes, you need to be in their heads. You need to have got under their skin and, and feel like you can make choices. I remember listening to an interview with um the director and actress from victoria the german film that was shot in one one take and they talked about how their whole rehearsal period was just about her understanding the character so that when she was in that moment you know they couldn't call cut that she would know how the character behaved improvise and change if there's a yeah Exactly. And I just think that that's the the thing that you need to be trying to find. And it's a shame that we don't get more rehearsal time. We did have some rehearsal time on Sensor and and Helen, my producer, was really supportive of that because I said right from the start, you know, I want to spend time with the actors before we get on set because so much of the time I hear about directors and actors who meet for the first time on the day. And, you know, you haven't worked out what, how does that person work? What can I do to help that actor yeah. do the best job possible. And you, and you don't want to be learning that halfway through a shoot. Yeah, exactly. You know? you know, I love that. So how's it been now it's starting to come out and you're getting these amazing reactions and, as I said, people seem to to get it. Yeah. Because it is tough with a genre piece, but it's, again, it's there's a lot, it's all about psychology, really, mm-hmm. and, and the impact of these things it's about video nasties but it plays on being a video nasty at the same time because it's telling that story so there's a i can imagine there's a lot that you may have been thinking well we've made what we wanted <laughs> it may people may not get it but but yeah. here's 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 what we had in mind um so how is it that it's starting to get these amazing reactions and people do seem to get get what you were doing and where you were going it's amazing because like you say, you don't, you know, especially when you're doing something that's quite nuanced and isn't on the nose and has open ends like uh, this film does, you aren't sure if people are going to be dissatisfied or confused. Yeah. or And to know that you've managed to temper your story in a way that has like reached the brain of someone else and they're thinking the things you wanted them to think yeah, is yeah. like magical but also the really thoughtful reactions and the conversations that are happening off the back of the film about the period, about censorship and art and and um, trauma and all of these uh, things that people are kind of reading in the film is like exactly what I'd hoped for, really. And I remember saying, God, if there was, if if this film could get make people more interested in the video nasties and that period even though some i'm gonna you know put my hands up and say yeah some of those films are really bad oh some even of them are awful. i love them yeah 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 <laughs> i love some of the worst ones as well and <laughs> you know but but the fact that people seem to be like looking back at these films that were kind of i don't know demonized and looking back at this period maybe with a different set of goggles i think is really rewarding and lovely i know it's quite a popular thing now obviously film soundtracks and tv soundtracks have been around for ages but spotify playlists attached to different shows and different projects have become a really big thing i'd i'd love you to do just a film playlist for attached mm. to attached at sensor here's the video nasties that if you enjoyed this here's what here's here's the small influences and what was 
along yeah. the way to send people in the right direction. I think that would be yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah, totally. No, I mean, there's been a few, I think like there's a few sort of double bill screenings that yeah. are coming up where I've been asked to sort of recommend things that might work well as a double bill. So like one that actually, weirdly, I, I only saw this film after finishing Censor, which is kind of bonkers because it feels like it should have been an influence. But The Witch Who Came From The Sea right. um, was one of the films that was wrapped up in the video nasty list. And it is absolutely amazing. It's like, it, it definitely feels like a sort of double bill. You know, it's a, a woman dealing with kind of trauma from sexual abuse and it, I think it's a masterpiece, and yeah. hasn't had the hasn't had the attention that some of the other video nasties that kind of broke through, like the Evil Dead, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the yeah. kind of better known ones. There are some other really glorious gems in there that I hope maybe more people will become aware of. Or, or, or speaking of double bills, the last t- t- two things on my list, and one of them kind of leans towards that. I I used to do a. F- curate a film night at the Prince Charles Cinema. And the reason that came about is because I would moan at them so much on Twitter when I didn't think that they nailed a double bill. They had one, it was Looper something and Primer. And I got annoyed because I love Primer, but I don't think anyone really watches Primer for any other reason than to say, I've seen Primer. Because it's that kind of, it's it's so intricate. But And I push them to put... Time Crimes on instead, which I think is just an absolute work of art, but it's more, it's weirder. It's, yeah, I don't know. It's more of a a journey. So how is it that, like, is it exciting that Censor is being screened at the Prince Charles Cinema? Because it's such an important cinema to so many filmmakers and just film nerds. So to have your debut feature on there must be... Oh, yeah. I mean, honestly, it's a... Yeah, I remember... I won a competition a few years ago. You had to put in a piece of work and if you won, you got it screened before the never ending story at the Prince Charles cinema. Wow. And uh, I won with my music video house and it was like, Oh my God, my 10 year old self would like be like mind blown right now. But so that was the first exciting, you know, screening there. And now my actual debut feature film is going to be, showing in that incredible place and I just think the screen there the downstairs screen is just one of my favorite screens but come on it's the coolest cinema in London basically isn't it by a long way yeah yeah I love it well to wrap things up I normally ask what's coming up and it's normally a really awkward question because people can't (laughs) talk about what they're doing Neve kind of loosely mentioned Ireland but said she couldn't say much more than that um but you've had something announced and it's uh things things we lost in the fire and it's produced by rodrigo teixeira who did call me by your name did lighthouse and the witch numerous robert eggers stuff noah baumbach a christian moselle skate kitchen and probably my favorite director of all time gaspar no so how exciting is that to be (laughs) to be paired up with someone who does again what always I get excited about is producers and casting directors who've worked on the weird shit and allowed it to be weird shit. And that's what's important because, again, it's not easy for something to start weird and end weird. It's an industry where stuff can be so edited and so sanitised that a vision can can be ripped apart. And what jumps out at me with a lot of the stuff that Rodrigo is involved in is that it feels like it was allowed to be what it was meant to be. For better or worse, if it ends up good or bad here's what we set out to do. So, yeah. How's that? Yeah. How excited are you? What's the, the plan? It's very exciting. And the, it's funny you say that. I mean, the first conversation I had with Rodrigo, he said, I want to make films that I want to watch. Yeah. And to, as a as a writer-director, that's music to my ears because, 100%. you know, I have had more wider conversations off the back of Censor. And one of the things that's really important to me is that I get to tell the stories that I want to tell in the way that I want to tell them and that yeah. I'm not going to get forced into, you know, we should do this because we're trying to please X, Y, Z. And I I feel like Rodrigo's, if you call it a back catalogue or, you know, his, <laughs> his uh, the films he's made kind of speak like volumes in terms yeah. of his approach. And that for me is very, very exciting. But no, I mean, the, the short story, Things We Lost in the Fire, it came to me through multiple 
different avenues in a way that felt like the world was trying to get me to see (laughs) this short story, to read this short story. And when I read it, I knew the option wasn't available. And so I actually reached out to Rodrigo just to inquire whether or not he had a writer-director on board. And luckily he didn't. And he'd been looking for someone, so we talked about it. And, yeah, it sort of felt like the stars aligning. So Yeah, that feels perfect. Yeah, I'm co-writing that with my censor co-writer, Anthony Fletcher. And, uh, yeah, we're very excited to get started on it very soon. Amazing. Writing, that is. Yes, so you have course. to wait a little while for yes, it to uh, be made. <laughs> of course. But, yeah, that's all wonderful to, 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 to hear then. I realised about halfway through this chat that we hadn't explained what sensor is or what it's about so i'll do that in the intro so don't panic it'll all make sense i've realized that we've in my excitement i've jumped in like (laughs) and this bit and then this and it's like all right i should explain what the hell the film's about but i'll do that in the intro we don't have to worry about that so thank you very much for your time it's been a pleasure and it's flown by yeah it has flown by and it's so nice to have a different kind of conversation about the film as well so thanks i love that that it's really lovely to meet you hopefully we'll meet in real life one day yes i look forward to that you've been listening to scroobius pips distraction pieces There we go. That was Prana. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I think you can hear the enjoyment and excitement in my voice. You know I love nerding out over film, TV, how it's made, all of this stuff. It's my my love and I adore talking about it and I adore you guys for listening to me prattle on about it with amazing guests week after week. If you're not ready and and primed for censor, then you're mad. Because I loved that chat and it made me hype to, to watch it again. You can catch it at Sundance London on July 30th and then another showing on August 1st and then widely released in theatres on August 20th. You know, last Friday I put out a bonus episode that was uh, top five TV show character names. Well, I'm putting out a bonus episode on Friday and it's a secret announcement. But it's not just like me popping up and going, here's the announcement. I've got a load to tell you about and I'm going to tell you on Friday. So, yeah, I'll see you then. Until then, stay sane and stay safe. Ta-ta.